You're listening to the Team Guru Podcast, bringing to life the theory and principles of leadership. We've all been there to one of those feel-good cultural days. They can actually be quite enjoyable. You get to know your colleagues in a new way you have the opportunity to learn some new stuff and put a few concerns on the table. They can feel great. But then the next day, everyone heads back to their desk, confronted by 150 emails in their inbox, a day of back-to-back meetings. And before you know it, that great cultural day is all but a blurred memory. Hello and welcome to episode 78 of the Team Guru podcast. My name's David Frizzell, and my guest is here to make sure that you your team and your organization doesn't become another statistic. Georgia Merch loves to run those feel-good cultural days, but more importantly, she's determined that their power and potential doesn't end there. In fact, she says it's just the beginning. For organizations to thrive and survive in a changing world, they must develop the ability to change with purpose. And Georgia has a five-step plan to help you do just that. I hope you enjoy my conversation with Georgia Merch. Georgia Merch, welcome to the Team Guru Podcast. David, thank you for having me. Well, it's a pleasure, Georgia, and I really enjoyed your book. It's a, a really upbeat sort of easy to read. You, you feel like you fly through it because there's so many interesting bits to it. It's very much about, it's called the feedback flow, by the way, for those who are listening. I'm sure you know what it's called, Georgia. It's, uh, it's Even though I've read it many times. <laughs> well, I hope you wrote it as well. And it's, it's about yes, change um, and in particular cultural change. So I just want to start giving it a little bit of context I'm really interested in your opinion as to why so many cultural programs and organizations fail. Ah, why so many fail. And so we're talking about in the context of culture change. So there's lots of reasons, but let me limit it to a few. I think in my experience, not only as somebody who has designed and driven culture change programs for years, but now who has spent a lot of time researching why they work and why they don't, The concept of wanting to be a better version of yourself as a business is a great thing. And what we've now recognised that in order for cultures to grow and transform is that we need to have people agreeing to a a way of behaving and a way of treating each other. And typically what's happened in the past is we spend a lot of time and a lot of money on external consultants like me who come into the organisation and we have these amazing days, we, we draw up beautiful words on on posters and, you know, we do high fives around all these words that we've agreed to. So we want to be an organisation that's committed to integrity or honesty or passionate or whatever the words may be. And the mistake that many businesses and teams make is that once we've come to the agreement of what we want to be or who we aspire to be, We create all these gorgeous new words and stick them around the office and sometimes even the back of the toilets, but then we don't do anything with it. Yeah. So we've come to these great agreements, but then that's actually where the work begins. 
So how do we actually embed those values and behaviours till they become a way of working? But what often happens is that we stop once we've created the agreements. I'm absolutely certain that everyone who's listening to this has been part of that experience that you just described. You you might go to a day <laughs> or two that are great and they're energising and, and they could be a fantastic facilitator full of energy and everyone feels great. And then you go back to work and, and as I've said many times before, your inbox is full of emails, you've got back-to-back uh-huh. meetings and the reality of, of where you came from two days ago kicks in and that fantastic workshop is long forgotten. That happens a lot in organizations. And, and as you say in your book, and we all know, organizations that pull in a facilitator like you or me and, and have that kind of a day are very well-intentioned. They want it to go well. Mm. They don't want it to be a one, one-off expensive day that, that has no impact. So th- it comes from a very good place. So what is the difference then when you talk about making it stick and the fact that that day is just the very beginning of the work, what do we do next? Say we agree on on some really clear adjectives, the type of words that we agree that we want to be, as you say, agreeing to a way of behaving. When we've had that day and we go back to work, what are the steps that we take next? Good question. I'm glad you asked. Um, I'm going to answer it in the context of change, but a lot of my research around this is all around embedding a feedback culture. But whether it's a feedback culture or whether it's a, an innovative culture or whatever the words are, it's the same principles apply. And there's really, I think, five things that make it stick. But David, let me run through one at a time and you can kind of stop me and, you know, we can go into detail with any of them if you want to. Lovely. Let's start with the kind of the, tr- the training, you know, the, the, we've agreed to these values and what we now need to do is roll them out across the business. And yeah, we need to hire great trainers or create our own internal ones to inspire people about these new values or this new culture that we want to create. So gone are the days of wheeling people into training and talking at them. But people, like you mentioned before, we want to be inspired with a carrot rather than a stick. Mm. And so we have these great training days, but it's train and support. What we don't do enough of is create what I call remembering rhythms. Um, things that allow us to go, okay, that's what we agreed on the day. They're the things that we want to be, but what do we need to do to embed it so that it becomes habitual? And so the support mechanisms for the training, there's lots of really cool stuff that you can do. Many of your listeners, David, and I'm sure you've been a part of it, would have heard of things where you either create mentors or change champions. And they're the people in the business that are super keen, super excited to actually fly the flag for change. And we want to capture them and we want to educate them and we want to teach them how they can roll out the change. Fantastic. So before you move on, we're we're talking about the first step in making it stick. You started by talking about this idea of agreeing to the culture that that we want to be and, and getting out there and training people. I just want to pause and ponder this this concept of telling the organization what our culture is going to be. I guess I'm, I'm mm-hmm. torn there. Um, you, know, you, ha, you know, how do you tell an individual what culture they're going to live <laughs> by? But then again, if you've got a, anything larger than, than 30 or 40 or 100 people in your organization, there has to be some level of telling because you can't get everyone into a room yeah. and have everyone in the whole organization agree to five key words. So, How do you straddle those two powerful ideas? 
Yeah, cool. I I think as I started rolling along, I'd made the assumption that we'd already gone there. So good pullback. So let's go back to the beginning. So if we're let's make the assumption that as a company or as a team that we haven't had an agreement to, you know, a, a way of behaving. We'll call them values. Mm. And yes, as a smaller business, you know, you can, you know, you can afford to to get everybody involved in that journey. But as a larger one, it certainly gets harder. I actually, and let me just say before I jump into the answer, I see less businesses who don't have values these days. Mm. So I think most companies understand how important it is to have an agreed set of behaviours. But if they wanted to change them or they wanted to implement them in the first place, what we need to do is actually create the opportunity for everybody to feed into that. And that doesn't mean if we've got, you know, a, a team of a 1,000 people that everybody stops working and participates in a, you know, who do we want to be <laughs> day. Yeah. But it, it does mean that there's a layer of people in the business who have direct input into what we think it might be, but we also want to create opportunities for everybody in the business or anybody who is interested in inputting into who we want to be through the process. So I think what we've got to be really conscious of doing is we don't want to make everybody have to participate if they don't want to, but what we do need to do is inspire people to want to participate and create opportunities for them to input into, hey, this is what we think it might be. Here's the five kind of memes or mantras that we've come up with. What do you think? What sticks? What doesn't? And so inviting people to participate into that journey is a really important part of the process for the buy-in. So we cast the net wide and we invite people to participate. And we also talk about those values and what they will look like on a really practical level. What do they mean to us? What will we see and hear yep. if they're our values? And and as you were talking, um, you know, I'm reaching the obvious conclusion that it, it is okay for an organization from the ground up, from members of their community who have agreed on a set of values to say to others, hey, this is how we roll around here. We do yeah. deal with, you know, respect or open communication or supporting our colleagues or whatever those values might be. It's okay to do that, especially if you've gone through a process where you've you've invited everyone in the organization who's interested to be part of the process of putting together those those values and and the things that support them. That's that's great, Georgia. I like that approach. So I interrupted you before. You were talking about the five things that are going to make this stick after that fantastic day that you come and facilitate. The yeah. first one is all about training and training and support and and bringing on board champions and encouraging and empowering those who are passionate about it to really lead by example. What's next? Yeah. So next is what we're learning about change is that, you know, we've heard of the term change fatigue. Like mm. To an extent, change is our constant now. Yeah. So if we want to constantly grow, we've got to expect it. But we're getting really tired by new we want to be this culture or we're going to drive this new software program or we're going to be customer-centric or whatever the theme may be, we actually get tired of it. And what happens is once we've heard this new slogan or this new idea or this new way of working over and over again, we actually start dipping in terms of our momentum, our motivation to get there. So what we need to do and what I'm suggesting we need to do is actually break it up in what I call 90-day projects. Mm, I was going to ask you about this. I'm glad you've gone here. I was really interested how you you arrived on that number of 90 days and why it's so important 
to put your change projects in into that time frame. So great. I'm I'm glad you've got there. Yeah. So so what I'm not suggesting is that change happens in 90 days. But what I'm suggesting is that we need to theme little bite-sized chunks mm. of the change within 90-day periods because what happens is we get really excited. We're a bit like a little bird jumping out of the nest, flapping our wings with excitement and, you know, and so it, and we're jumping out. But what happens is we get tired. Mm. We get tired quite quickly and unless we've got something new or we've got something soft to land on, in the bird's case, but unless we've got, we've got something new, we actually – keep going down and our momentum's lost. So those 90-day chunks are really around going, okay, as an organisation strategically or as a team strategically, what's our big picture? Our big picture might be to be a feedback culture. But what within that can we actually make thematic? Can we make in terms of projects? So the first 90 days might be feedback to our customers. And we're just going to drive what are the initiatives that we can do across the business to ensure that we get better at giving and receiving feedback from our customers. Whether it's a half-day energizer session or a comprehensive team and leadership program, Team Guru's unique approach could be just what the doctor ordered for your organization. So these 90-day projects are all about breaking it down into manageable bite-sized pieces. Because Completely. The example you gave, we want to be a, have a feedback culture. Great. What a, what a great ambition. But, geez, it seems daunting if you're not one. So let's break it down and let's start in our first 90 days by focusing on our customers and getting feedback from them. That can be the way that we start to eat this elephant to use an awful cliche. Yeah, absolutely. And another one that tends to roll really well is what we're learning in organisations is that recognition matters. Like people want to be seen, to be valued, to be noticed. So let's create a 90-day project around recognising each other. Let's get our positive on. Let's highlight the good in each other from a feedback perspective. And that could be another 90-day theme and so on and so on. So what we're not doing anymore is labouring one big concept. We're breaking it up so it's manageable and it's fun and it actually we can learn how to embed it in multiple ways. I like that. I like the 90-day project and I'm imagining once you roll off that fantastic day where you've got people full of enthusiasm, you break it down into these 90-day bite-sized chunks At that point, you have those natural leaders, those people who are the spiritual leaders and teams and in the organizations who actually Mm. really step up and start to observably, in a really concrete way, change their behavior so everyone else can see it to say, hey, we are actually going to do this. We're going to do this 90-day project and we're going to change this behavior and I'm going to show you and I'm going to lead the way. Is that what you tend to see? Well, yeah. Well, that's that's the optimum. So- But here's the point, and this is one of the other five levers in order to embed any changes. If you're not measuring that, you're not going to be able to see it. Yeah. So are we we jumping ahead there to number? Yeah, yeah, we're jumping. But we cannot jump. I can I can go with the flow. (laughs) No, I like I like that. We'll we've flagged that. We'll get there. So what what is number three? We've done the training, we've done the 90-day projects. What comes next? Well, well, next is the measure and tweak component. Fantastic. So what we want to do is there's no point. Imagine, imagine you know, the, the show The Biggest Loser. I do. Imagine if we never had 
measuring. Yeah. Yeah. Imagine within, if no one ever waited. stood on the scales. Mm. Do you think people would watch? Yeah, exactly, because that's, yeah. that's the most yeah. dramatic time of the week, isn't it? <laughs> I know, right? And that becomes, for everybody, there is there's a motivator when you've actually got something to aspire to. So what we've got to do before we even start in the early days is say, okay, if we're going to drive change, how do we? What does success look like? How are we actually going to measure it? What are the quantitative and qualitative components of that for help to help us understand where we're going in this journey? Did you and, see these, these cultural things, these soft behaviours that are, are really powerful, but they are soft. They're often intangible. They're notoriously difficult to measure, though, aren't they? Yeah. Oh. I'm an ex-accountant, David. So <laughs> you can uh, measure anything. Yeah, yeah, you can absolutely. But but what that also means is that for me, you know, if I was a client, I wouldn't want to drive something internally unless I know you can measure it. So mm. it just depends. And again, these are conversations that you have up front to say, well, why are we doing in this in the first place? What's the purpose? What are the things that we want to change? Yeah. So. In court, in organisations, we talk a lot about engagement. So how how engaged our people, because we know the the better engaged they are, the better they perform. Or we talk about levers like turnover. So what we don't want to have is more regrettable turnover. We don't want to lose the good people. But sometimes it's okay to manage people that aren't the right fit for us or for each other out of the business. So there's examples where you actually can put numbers behind things if they're the things that you want to measure based on the success of what you're doing. Let's go with one of the examples you gave before. Let's say that we want to create that feedback culture where we give each other positive reinforcement. How do you, and you've got your 90-day project, it's the first yeah. one off the off the rank and we're going to we're, we're talk about giving each other compliments and recognizing great work. How do you measure that? Yeah, good question. So there's, uh, there's, what you tend to do is rather than having a consultant come in and say it, everybody in the business can always come up with ideas, but some cool ones that I've seen working with organisations around this would be things like you do little pulse checks. Mm. So it's five questions once every six weeks. Yep. Is my manager recognising me? How often am I doing it to others? We go and talk to our customers and saying, you know, are you aware of what makes you a great customer? Have we told you recently? So there's just some little, short, quick, tangible things that you can do, plus take into account the surveys that we do, uh, you know, on a biannual or a quarterly basis as well. People are pretty quick to say whether they're feeling like they matter or that they make a difference or that they're getting the positive feedback they need. And in actual fact, one of the levers for organisations to become great places to work is where people feel recognised. Mm. So it's often part of cultural surveys. And you can't fake that. You know, I, I, I was <laughs> no. I was loading up a question to say, well, can that become a cynical box ticking thing where uh, someone of a very managerial mm. mindset rather than a leadership mindset will say, okay, well, I'm supposed to have four positive conversations every week. So, okay, Mary, over here, get over yeah. here. It's yeah. time for a positive conversation. Yeah, your hair um, looks great, Mary. Yeah, no, yeah. it doesn't uh, count. <laughs> and it wouldn't count because when people give that pulse check, they would indicate that, hey, I don't feel supported or I, I don't feel encouraged. My manager's going through the motions, but it's not coming across right. Yeah, absolutely. And it's both at play here too. It's employees and leaders. Mm. So, well, you know, team members and leaders. So it's everybody counts. So one of the things that we don't want to do is isolate anybody because everyone has a role to play in measuring the success. 
Fantastic. All right. Well, this is making a lot of sense. In order to make this stuff stick, we need to do the training. We need to to get on board those people who are enthusiastic and support them. Then we need to break it down into 90-day projects. I really like that one. That makes so much sense. And then, like everything, we need to be able to measure it. And from the results we get from the measuring, we need to be able to tweak those 90-day projects and the way that we talk about them and the way that we execute them. Great stuff, Georgia. What's number four? Can I jump back for a little bit around the measure and tweak? You sure can. Because the measurement piece is really is really cool, but it's the tweaking piece I think that makes the biggest difference. Yeah. So you said before, David, what if you've, you know, this is, you know, when you start implementing your 90-day projects, you can actually start seeing some of these great leaders come to the, you know, rise up, mm. you know, and be the change that we're seeking. And so what we do in those times is we look at the pockets of the businesses that are that are excelling and we go, What's working in here that we need to replicate across the business? So let's be clever about amplifying what's already working. But we'll also have pockets of the business that aren't growing as fast as we'd like. And rather than pointing the finger at them, what can we do to support them? So it goes back to that training and support component. What have we got in our toolkit to be able to help them accelerate, to be able to help them move forward? And we coach those leaders and those teams to get there rather than rather than, you know, get annoyed at them and not offer them support. So we've got to recognise that everybody has different speeds when it comes to change, but our role if we're driving that is to support them through that and give them all the tools to get there. To stay positive and support them rather than than get upset that they're not coming along for the ride. Yeah, that's old school command and control style of leadership and it's not cutting it anymore. No, it sure isn't. And that's something that, that is very clear from all the guests that I have on this podcast. Fantastic, Georgia. And thank you for taking me back. I'm so pleased that you went back there and we talked a little bit more about the the measure and tweak. Aren't you encouraging David? (laughs) (laughs) You're going well on the recognition piece, just so you know. Thank you. I'll put a little tick there. That's one. I might try and get through three for each interview and uh, and then I've done it. (laughs) All right. So uh, what is number four, Georgia? So number four, accountability with rigor. Okay. So How ironic is it that organisations might implement a feedback culture yet fail to hold each other to account? Yeah, yeah, and you you can see that. Yeah, so you see it many times. So one of the things that we're learning quite clearly is that when we're really transparent about our results and we're very transparent about when we're doing well and when we're not or holding each other to account in those conversations – Trust and respect actually grows in organisations. And I can even use, look at the, the Australian cricket team. Dare I bring it up? You know? <laughs> Dare you? Dare I? But I think this is such a fantastic example of where initially when we found out that there was ball tampering, we were so quick as a nation to yeah. point the finger. Yeah. But pretty quickly when the boys came straight back, you know, f- from the tour and actually publicly apologised, and then said, well, we're going to cop the restrictions and the bans that we've got. Yeah. And because we need to take responsibility, we need to be held to account. Public sentiment changed really quickly. Yeah, didn't it? You could feel it across the country. You could it feel it. It was so fantastic yeah, to watch. I, yeah. yeah. It was, there was a whole, there was a very interesting process, the whole thing from a leadership point of view. You know, the fact that at that very first press conference when they walked off the field, they just admitted to it. There was no trying to deny it. Look, they told a lie about the sandpaper versus tape. That wasn't great. But the fact that they admitted to it 
almost hung them out to dry. Because if you think about our political leaders, they could mm. be caught red-handed doing something and they will just deny it and they will mm. deny it and deny it until it's forgotten. Those guys didn't do that and it almost cost them. Because they were so clearly admitting to what they were doing, the public just jumped on them. They, the word cheat was used and we can't stand our, our sportsmen cheating on, on our behalf. So we jumped all over them. But it actually came from the fact that they were so honest. And then there was the way that it was managed or not managed by James Sutherland. What, should he should he have acted more quickly? Did he act too quickly? And it quickly? was damned if he did, damned uh, if he don't. And, and that so. was – and exactly. And then the drama about the three of them coming back and making apologies and, and the, the country almost in unison forgiving them on the spot – Really interesting, really complex story, and uh, I, I mean, I've I've enjoyed it from a, both a leadership point of view mm. and a sports point of view. Yeah, and so have I. And I, I just think it's a really good example of they took responsibility, they mm. held themselves to account. Yeah, we as a nation held them to account, but they did too. Mm. And when you do do that well, so in in that instance, they took responsibility, mm. but also in other instances where we as individuals, and you don't have to be a manager of people to do this, but when you hold somebody else to account on agreement that you made, that's actually where things start changing. Because we can, again, or otherwise we've just got all these posters on a wall of the new things that we want to be and it won't change because there's this discomfort that happens whenever change occurs and the discomfort is, one, changing your skills and your behaviours and the other discomfort is, yeah, we're not going to get it right. You know, we're not always, we're never going to be perfect but what we need to do is create an environment where it's okay to have conversations and say, hey, I don't think we made it there. Let's have a conversation about how we can. Do you want team and leadership development programs that actually work? Contact Team Guru today so we can start the conversation. So we've all been on teams where we've agreed to a team charter or a set of values or something like that. We feel great about it. And then we get back into the the busyness, as I say, of of our Mm. day job. And someone does something that is glaringly against what we all agreed on and what we all felt so great mm. about during that workshop. But so often, I, I don't know, I don't have the numbers. I would guess way more than fifty percent of the time, that behaviour goes unaddressed. No one speaks mm. to them. We're we're almost too shy or gutless or weak or careful or mm. whatever the words is. Whatever the words are, why, Georgia, do we find it so hard in professional teams at work to call people on their behaviour? Yeah, it's a really good question. It's one that we cover up front when it comes to creating change. It's, mm. you know, so that we don't have the elephants in the room. Yeah. But fear is a massive driver mm. for people. Yeah. So, and, and in this case, not in a positive way. So it's the fear of the relationship breaking down. So what if I call someone out and our relationship deteriorates? Mm. You know, we're on a good thing here. I've got to work with this guy every day, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. There's also the people, some people just, you know, they don't like conflict. So any conversation that could be different and have a different perspective, from their perspective that's conflict and they'll avoid at all costs. So we're wired differently. So that's another main driver. The other things that hold people back is I know that what I've got to say is valid and correct, but I don't know how to manage the reactions yeah. of 
Yeah. You know, if they react poorly to yeah. what I've got to say, so yeah, that'll right. hold them back. Well, firstly, I don't know what the reaction is going to be, and I don't know if I'll be able to manage it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And also, what about the old, what if this becomes a bit of a career suicide conversation? Yeah. What if I'm having a conversation, you know, what if it's, a, if it's a leader or somebody that has some pull in the organisation and they just make things difficult for me thereafter? So, Georgia, when you put all these things on the table at the beginning of workshops and at the beginning of these cultural journeys, and we acknowledge that it's hard to have these conversations, but it's an absolutely essential part of the process. How do you encourage and skill up leaders so that they're willing and able to have the conversations that we know we need to have? Yeah, like how do I transform individuals into walking around having conversations about everyone? Like how do I do miracles? Um, <laughs> yeah, that's what <laughs> yeah, I'm asking. Okay. Yeah, yeah, I got, I've got some answers. Yeah, I've got um, my pen ready to go because I'm yeah, quite yeah. interested in this answer. Yeah, I so I think there's two things when it comes to creating a culture where we can talk about almost anything. And at a high level, if you think about it, we when we're having conversations with people, I always talk about it in two contexts. We hear your content, but we smell your intent. Mm, okay. So in that, the two pieces are, one, content-wise, we need to get really clever around how we prepare for our conversations. Yeah. And we need to recognise that our truth is not the truth. Yeah. So we've got our facts, our perspective, our opinions, and, and that's good and we need to be careful about how we present those. But we've also got to recognise that another person that we're having the conversation with has also got their truth, their yes. facts, their opinions. So we've got to recognise that we need the blend of the two for the colour and richness of a conversation. So how we prepare is essential and there's a there's a cool structure around how you can do that. So that's one. But the second piece is intent. You know, we've all I bet your listeners have all heard, you know, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Sure. And it absolutely counts. And to an extent, you can stuff up your words if you're coming from a good place. Sure. But if your intent in a conversation is to assassinate, yeah, or to be right or to let them know that you've got the answer or to have the upper hand or whatever it may be, they will smell that and it doesn't matter how elegant your words are, you won't get anywhere. So the the intent is, is almost more important than the content. It really is. And I've been to so much training in the past where they focus on the structure being it, but I think that we don't recognise how much we ourselves and the stuff that we've got, the stories that we tell ourselves in our head influences our conversations quite dramatically and that it's actually that that can send it south quite fast and if we therefore have control over our intent and working on our stuff and where we're coming from we actually have a chance to have such a cool impact in our conversations because we're now coming from a better place and they're much more prepared to listen. Oh, that's that's great advice. So really, really assess your own, really honest, in a really honest way. What is your own intent? Are you going in here to to destroy this person? Are you going in here to defend yourself, to make sure that that nothing sticks to you? Or are you going in with a really positive intent to help the team, to help the work situation, to help both of you in this conversation grow as people and professionals? And if you are going in with that kind of intent, doesn't really matter whether you stumble over your words or you've got all the facts, whether you've done all your, your fact gathering like a detective, if you go in with the right intent and let the conversation flow in a, in a really positive way, 
then you're going to have a decent outcome. Well, majority of the time, we always still do have those indiv- challenging individuals that no matter how elegantly we present something, they're, you know, they've got a disorder that, that holds them back from actually taking responsibility or listening. Yeah, so sure. it doesn't, um, it's not utopia. But what I've found is that really the difficult individuals, the ones that are really hard to navigate, they're really only two to three percent of the workforce when we actually learn how to say it well. That's great. All right. Well, let's we're 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 fast running out of time, Georgia. This is such interesting stuff, and I keep on pulling you up with questions. But we're working through these five things that we need to do to make feel good days stick. We talked about the training, the ninety day projects. Love that. We've got to measure it and tweak, and we've got to bring this thing that's called accountability with rigor. And we talked about how tough that is. What, Georgia, is number five? Number five is what I call it starts with you. Mm -hmm. And so there's two components to that. So it's anybody who is part of the change, it's us taking responsibility for our role in that. And some of us have strong relationships to change, some of us don't, but we've got to recognise that we actually can influence this in a good way or a not so good way. So, So that's assessing our where we're at but the other piece is it starts with you is it starts with the leaders and I've actually got to the stage in my career David where I'll talk myself out of work because I will talk with the senior leaders in the organization and get a sense of whether they're how on board they are and take them through part of the process of what these new behaviors look like And quite honestly, once we come back and swing back to six weeks or two months' time after we've started with them, if we're not seeing the change through the leaders, if they're not taking responsibility and stepping up, if they're not walking the talk, then I will actually have what I call a real conversation with them and say, you know, if you guys aren't prepared to change, you're actually going to waste your money by rolling this out across the organisation So I really believe that no matter what initiative a business wants to drive, if the leaders aren't doing their best, and again, it doesn't mean perfection, but it does mean doing their best, then it's a waste. How often do you come across the belief, the mythical belief amongst the leadership team that it's them who have to change? It's it's the rest of them. It's the members of the team. It's the people who report to me. It's the the lower downs that need to change the culture. We're just here to pay the consultants and make sure they uh-huh. do it. Yeah, I just had a conversation last week, so I hope the client's not listening. <laughs> but I, Oh, he will I, be. Everyone listens yeah, to this yeah, podcast, right, yeah, Georgia. Yeah. So it was a conversation. It was, Georgia, can you come in and change it, change all my people because they've got a whole lot of work to do and they don't realise they're not all for us to be a great place to work that they've got to do A, B and C. And so – I went and did my research with some of those leaders, but before I did, I said to this, the manager, the leader of the business, the owner of the business, I said, okay, yes, we can we can do some great stuff and we can teach your people things, but do I have permission to circle back to you if you're part of the problem? Yeah, and what did that person say? Well, there's a bit of silence, David. There was definitely a bit of silence. <laughs> yeah, I'm not part and of so- the problem. Yeah, yeah, and so I was pretty explicit and said, and hey, you know, he, you you hold such a major key in driving this change as an organisation. So if you're up for morphing and changing and be and stepping up and becoming a better v- version of yourself and a better leader, we can get there. But if you think it's all them, we're actually probably going to struggle. So I am quite clear and explicit about that up front. That is a fantastic 
way to wrap it up, Georgia. It starts with you. It starts with the leaders. You're not here just to pay the facilitators. You're not here to get the consultants in. You're here to lead the change, to be that observable, tangible, concrete change that you want to see through the organization. Here, here. Oh, that's awesome stuff. Georgia Merch, I have really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, David. It was an absolute pleasure. And that was Georgia Merch. She's passionate about change, making it real, making it stick. And her five-step plan is terrific. Training in support, number one, tapping into those with enthusiasm for the vision and empowering them to have an impact across the organization. Number two, the 90-day projects. I love this one. Breaking that big, chunky cultural vision into bite-sized 90-day pieces. And of course, we have to measure and tweak. Number three, Georgia thinks that everything can be measured. And with that information, we must be prepared to change course if we're not hitting the mark. Number four is accountability and rigor. That is everyone across the organization being willing to have the tough conversations. Remember, content and intent. And finally, number five, it starts with you. We all need to be leaders on this to take responsibility. As always, I'll share the lessons I took from my conversation with Georgia on the Lessons Learned page from this podcast. You'll find it along with the entire back catalogue of Team Guru podcasts on our website. That's teamswithans.guru forward slash podcast. Connect with me on Twitter, Facebook, SoundCloud, or LinkedIn, and join me for the next episode on this, my mission to bring to life the theory and principles of leadership. This is David Frizzell for Team Guru. Bye for now. Bye.